Well, welcome back, everyone, to episode two of Time to Shine. Uh, my name is Adrian, also known as Northern Star on Twitter, and I'm not joined alone. My faithful friend Mike is here with me. Hi, Mike. Hello, everyone. It is Mike at the Berry Truck back again to discuss the magic of Shining Time Station. And boy, Adrian, we have a big one today, don't we? This, this is magic-filled this episode <laughs> there's so much magic i don't know if we'll be able to get through all of it to i'm be bursting, bursting at the seams the with all this magic right now <laughs> no but really like this this one is very special and i have to thank mike for suggesting it um because as you guys know we've been doing our sort of overviews of all the of all the seasons and now we're hopping back into well, in between seasons one and two, but technically the end of season one to review uh, the 21st episode, uh, which is the Christmas special, the first hour-long episode of Shine Time Station, is a gift. Um, yes, indeed. And, Mike, I believe you had the idea because this is sort of another kind of key special in the show, correct? Yeah, this is, uh, really, this was the first special that they had ever done, and uh, to date, well, I mean, I guess to date, because of course the series ended in the 90s, but um, right. this was also, surprisingly, the only Christmas special that they ever did. Which is weird when you think about it, considering that the show had three seasons, that they only kind of did it for one. Because I think they totally, I mean, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, they could have made um, the Thanksgiving episode into a Christmas episode. Yeah, exactly. If they if they hadn't done that, if they had stuck with the original version of Thomas and Percy's Christmas Adventure, then we very well could have had maybe not a special, but definitely at least a Christmas episode in one of the following seasons. So I think the fact that we don't have another Christmas episode just helps to make this one all the more special. I agree. And I don't think you can really top it either. It was, no. funnily enough, like this was one of the first episodes I saw as a kid because when my grandma was recording season two, this was, I think, maybe four or five episodes in to the first season. So it must have fallen mm-hmm. on a Christmas and then they re-aired this special. Um, so I I always remember it as, as a really special episode in there. And I liked it a lot as a kid. Um, what do you what do you remember early on about it, Mike? I mean, I remember it very well from early on in life because this was the only Shining Time Station VHS that I had as a kid. No and way. Oh. Yeah, it was the only I didn't have any of the season three ones. This was the only one I had. And, oh. um, you know, it's it's funny. I have like three Christmas movies that I always make sure that I watch every year. Everything <laughs> else is kind of like if it's on TV, sure, I'll watch it. Or yeah. if other people want to watch it, then I'm I'm down for it. But there are three that I always watch, and one of them, without fail, is Tis a Gift. Excellent. Um, what are the other two, watched... can I ask? Yeah, so the other two, they're, they're kind of niche, but... Um, so one is the uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse Christmas special from, I think, I want to say 1989 or 1990. Oh, amazing. Like it's, it, oh, my God, it's so of the time. Like There's a very, very young Whoopi Goldberg, a very young Oprah... You know, it's it's like a timestamp of that time. And there was actually, I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but there was like an upload someone had done from when it was airing on TV. So you're just seeing like all the commercial breaks in between. And the commercials are like so late 80s that it hurts. And I love it. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> um, so there's that one. And then the other one I watch is uh, Muppet Family Christmas 
Oh, yeah, is, we talked about. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know, this is not whenever I say this one, people think I'm referring to Muppet Christmas Carol. But this was actually the very first Muppet Christmas special that they did. And it's awesome because they've got not only the Muppets, but you've also got the Sesame Street characters. Yeah. And then there's a point where they also go into the basement of uh, it's the home of Fozzie Bear's mother. They go into the basement and there's like a crack in the wall and they meet the Fraggles from Fraggle Rock. So great. Well, it's the best. And Spartan Winslow. Gerard Parks. That's right. That's right. We've got another Shining Time connection because uh, Gerard Parks, who played Barton Winslow from season two onward in Shining Time, uh, he was the character of Doc in Fraggle Rock. So the premise is that Doc and his dog Sprocket go to Fozzie Bear's mother's house for uh, Christmas because she's supposed to go away to the Bahamas or something like that. Yeah. And then a snowstorm hits and everyone comes over and they have the best Christmas ever. It was really sweet. I saw that for the first time like a year or two ago, and I was like, okay, buying that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, as soon as I know that I'm doing decorating for Christmas every year, it's like, okay, cue up those three. Let's go. This is going to be the best start of the season ever. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, yeah, for me, for me, it's definitely, I mean, it's funny. I don't actually watch this at Christmas because I watch it, like, throughout the year. But for me at Christmas, yeah. it's definitely Muppet Christmas Carol and uh, the Santa Claus, the original those two for me are just like so (laughs) they yeah they just bring back the 90s for me um those ones are super classic too yeah and hopefully when this episode is released it is closer to christmas and this is all going to get you guys in the christmas spirit um that's what we're hoping if all goes to plan (laughs) yes yes with the release schedules and all that um but we are very glad that you're joining us nonetheless um Mike, do you want to kick us off with a, a brief summary for those who haven't seen it? Um, although if you haven't, I mean, get out right now and do it. Exactly. Pause this episode. Uh, go watch it first. We implore you. And then come back and uh, you'll be coming back right as I do for you a recap. Or for those who uh, have already seen the episode or uh, maybe want a recap or a summary beforehand. Here you go. This is my little gift to you. So it is the uh, Christmas season at Shining Time Station The season is bustling with people coming and going. Uh, Matt and Tanya, of course, are at the station. They are a little bored and anxious for Christmas to come. Uh, Of course, we have Schemer here who is campaigning to be Santa's helper for the gala holiday pageant. Uh, All the while, Stacy is trying to keep everything under control and keep the station running smoothly. Shining Time Station! Trains from here to everywhere! Stacy Jones speaking! Yes, the train from Doodlehaven is on time. Well, yes, it's still snowing, but oh yes, oh well, happy holidays to you too. Bye bye. I'm a lumberjack and I'm all right. Now, a wrench is thrown into the plan when, for Matt and Tanya, uh, the bane of their existence, young Vicky, is brought to the train station because her mother has to do some shopping and she doesn't want to go. So. They have to put up with Vicky's cantankerous nature, uh, all while trying to be good children for Christmas, of course. Uh, in the midst of all this, a mysterious stranger comes to Shining Time Station. His name is uh, Mr. Nicholas, and he claims that he's waiting for a train called the Northern Star. Uh, everyone's confused. No one has ever heard of this train before. And as the snowstorm outside gets worse and worse and all the trains are being canceled... Uh, He is still staying in the station, insisting that the Northern Star will come. Uh, Eventually, 
Vicky makes peace with Matt and Tanya. They all come together to be friends. Uh, but there is an argument that breaks out amongst the adults at Shining Time Station over who gets to be Santa's helper. Uh, everyone has seemingly thrown their hats into the ring and no one can decide who it should really be. Uh, with the help of Mr. Nicholas, uh, Vicky sings a song that brings everyone together. And as they all come together to celebrate Christmas, we see Mr. Nicholas vanish from the station out onto the mythical Northern Star. Wow. Well, beautifully said, Mike. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is quite... It is quite an episode. They pack a lot in. And at the same time, it doesn't feel like an hour to me because it flows so well. Yeah, it. I was, I mean, when I was rewatching it today, usually that's what I'm looking out for. You know, I'm obviously trying to look at this stuff with a critical eye now. Yes. Um, as much as nostalgia will always be there for me with Shining Time Station, I, I definitely want to look at it from a critical point of view. There's really nothing from this special that I think I would remove or alter in any way. Like everything just flows really well yeah i completely agree with you i actually can't think of one thing that i would actually remove because i think it's very well written and actually do you know who wrote it uh i do this episode was written by uh i hope i'm saying the last name right brian, brian mcconaughey Mc yeah yeah okay i was wondering because he wrote so much for the show and he wrote the first episode and also the last the last special that we reviewed and this one and he's just i think he's a very good writer he's done a lot of uh a lot of very iconic episodes if you ask me i mean he, like you said he's done the first one uh he did things that go kahuga in the night is this the end uh bully for mr conductor which i think a lot of people see as a standout episode um yeah he, he's he's contributed a lot to the show and i think you know if i can be so bold i think this is definitely uh, his crowning achievement of contributions to the show for sure i think so too i think so too and it's you know it's interesting because i uh, i didn't grow up watching season one as it aired and so i imagine for folks who did grow up with it it was a real treat um especially because i know that there was some threat of shining time being canceled um because mm -hmm. of funding from pbs although i think it was a bit more of a not a red herring but you know, when they announced that that might happen, there were letters pouring in from, you know, mothers and fathers and families about the impact of the show. So it was clear that it had made a mark. Oh, certainly. And then I imagine for this to come back around, uh, I think it was, yeah, Christmas of, it was aired Christmas of 1990. That's um, right. And it must have been a nice reunion for the cast and crew as well, because they finished, they wrapped shooting back in 88. Season one premiered in 89. Right. Um, so it had been almost three years, uh, which is a chunk. Oh, well, not three years, two years, I guess. Two-ish years, yeah. But <laughs> that's still, years. I mean, when you're, when you're especially dealing with, you know, younger actors as well, like, mm -hmm. you can definitely see that it, it's not a huge age gap, but Matt and Tanya have definitely aged in that time from season one to Tizzy Gift, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, are there any other kind of, you know, initial impressions or memories that stick out to you for this episode? Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, everything. I, I feel like there's so many memorable moments from this episode. Um, there, There's so many guest stars in this episode, people that we don't see again, uh, and they really make an impact, definitely for me. 
um, the music in this episode, not just obviously the score, but everything by the jukebox band and the picture machine. Uh, and especially the ending where the whole cast comes together to sing. It's really, really special. And it really nails what I think any good holiday special should do. It makes you feel warm. It makes you feel like Christmas is this special time where everyone really does come together. So yeah, it's just, it's always struck me as like an essential Christmas viewing. And I really can't picture ever going through a Christmas without watching this. I agree. I agree. It really sums up the heart of the show for me. I know I've said that about a few episodes, but this one does really do that. It captures the spirit of Shining Time Station and I think of the Christmas season and it feels like a family. That's what it feels like. It's just all the characters, the main cast, and then all the supporting characters and the way they all come together at the end. It's very genuinely sweet and heartful. Um, And it's significant, I think, because this was the first... Uh, first time they filmed in Toronto. So it was a yes, big transition. it's the very first time they came to our homeland. <laughs> exactly. And that was a huge transition, you know, shipping the entire set, which was huge, all the way from New York to Toronto. You know, reassembling it just for this special before it was back mm-hmm. in storage, um, before they started filming, you know, season two. So it was a big production. They flew Ringo up here. Um to be with them they they also shot uh, a little behind the scenes segment that was released i think a year or so ago where they have footage of them on set and stuff which was very exciting to see because we don't often get to see that you know we get to see matt and tanya interacting with ringo's doll and mm-hmm. um and yeah little 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 bits and pieces um there are some differences in the in the set i noticed watching it like they don't have a little yellow lantern by the wrench so that may have been misplaced or they had to get a new one the jukebox has a couple cosmetic differences and they did this really Mm -hmm. odd thing i don't know if you noticed mike where instead of you know where they had the kind of song selector knob there before in season one it was like this recessed sort of button thing you couldn't really see and then now they have all the buttons sticking out the protruding like you know two or three inches it looks really awkward oh (laughs) i never noticed that yeah so have a look and they only did it for this episode and then by the time they started uh, season two, they just replaced it with like a brown cap. So I imagine people were bumping into it because it sticks out very noticeably. Oh man, yeah. I can imagine Brian getting his uh, his jackets or something caught on those buttons as he walked <laughs> Totally. <laughs> totally. But yeah, I it there's such a familiarity to this episode. It always touches me as I was chatting with Mike before. It always brings a tear to my eye. Well, multiple times. There are multiple moments where it's yes. moving and then the ending wraps it all together. And I remember the feeling of like the credits rolling and me always crying as a kid in like a nice sweet way. And then moving into the next episode, which I think was sweet and sour on my VHS compilation. So what a jump, (laughs) quite a jump. I know it's, it's funny, but it, it, it flowed to me. It really, (laughs) it was, you know, um, and like I said, it's nice seeing all the secondary characters back again. Like I really Mm -hmm. like JB King's thread in the story. Uh, I will say, for me, it's a bit alarming seeing how much older Matt and Tanya look. I mm-hmm. actually looked up how old they were when this was filmed, and they were 10 and 11. So they were really getting up there. Um, yeah, they were. The jump between, you know, eight or nine years old when they filmed the first season. So for me, I, you know, if there was one thing with this episode that I struggle with, I think it's that. 
that they're a little old to be believing in Santa. For me, like at, at that at that age, I mean, I still believe in Santa. Sorry, don't get me wrong, but they just <laughs> I, it, they don't they don't seem as convincingly childlike um, as they were before. Naturally, because they're older. But I just I noticed that a little bit rewatching it now. Yeah, now that now that you mentioned that, I do think that you know, especially with Matt, because I think of all the times in season one where he was just this like wide-eyed amazed kid and he was always so like taken with everything that happened in the station and he was tiny and and he was tiny yeah and i mean he's he's still relatively tiny in this one but he definitely feels more subdued and i guess that just comes with yeah you know the natural age of the actor and you know it's just you play a a little bit more grown-up character i suppose that's yep yep and they're not as like i think interesting you use the word subdued i think um Tanya, uh, played by Nicole, she's also just not as open. I think I'm used to them being like kids and you know uh, speaking their mind, and they they you can see that they've grown older. But you know there is a wonderful familiarity to all the cast being back together, and I think it is really nice that they did a special with you know those actors, those kids, and bringing Ringo back. Um, I agree. I agree. Now, in contrast to uh, the cast all being back, we should highlight that we've got quite a few new faces this time around in this special. Absolutely. Who do we have? Well, let's start off. We'll we'll try and go in sequential order, if my memory can serve me correct on this one here. Uh, first of all, we see that there is a new engineer at the station. Rather than Harry, who was played by Leonard Jackson, uh, we have his cousin, Tucker Cooper, played by Arden Bess. Uh, he highlights to us in his interaction with J.B. King that Harry was transferred to Twidley Junction, yeah. and he's here to help out with the holidays. Uh, following that, we also have uh, Vicky, who is played by Rachel Miner. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the child that Matt and Tanya interact with, the one who sort of doesn't like Christmas to start with and slowly comes around. And then, of course, probably the biggest of all the people that they have guest starring in this special is Lloyd Bridges as Mr. Nicholas. And man, oh man. I I mean, here's the thing. Lloyd Bridges is a very, was, I should say, he's, he's sadly passed away, but a very prolific actor. And this kind of relates to what I was thinking about with Ed Begley Jr. When we talked about once upon a time, but when you have these actors with, you know, very, storied careers and they've been in these big roles you expect that if they're going for a role like this in you know not to downplay it but a public television kid show yes there's so much potential for them to just phone it in and just you know whatever it's just a kid show who cares yeah but lloyd bridges does such a phenomenal job in this episode and there's so many moments where just his interactions with the other characters it it sends shivers down my spine it's yeah he he did a magical job he totally sold the role i think he just he fit right in and it was a really good choice um a perfect choice absolutely for this episode it was just he was just the guy especially i I think my favorite moments are when he when he says you're stacy jones well, it's good to see you again, Stacy. <laughs> oh, have we met before? Oh, many times. You probably don't remember. No, I knew you when you were just a little girl. Oh. Your grandmother ran this station. <laughs> yes. You used to have a doll named Betsy. 
Yes, <laughs> Betsy. Yeah. I forgot all about her. You carried Betsy everywhere you went. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't remember you. No, look, that bother you. No, that was a long time ago. Yes, well, <laughs> what brings you to Shining Time Station? I'm here to catch the Northern Star. I remember as a kid being so moved by her reaction, and similarly with J.B. King and his ships and bottles, mm-hmm. and that, like, a chanting music comes on. <laughs> I just, as a kid, I was like, oh. And, you know, it's funny. I don't think I made, you know, it's funny watching it now. I'm like, Mr. Nicholas, okay, like, obviously he's Santa. But mm-hmm. as a kid, I didn't necessarily make that connection um, until later, I think, in the episode. Because I just was like, oh, this is like a cool guy. He seems kind of mysterious and magical. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they were all really well chosen. I have to commend Rachel Minor on her performance as Vicky, because I think she was incredibly strong for her age. I mean, and just in general. I think her performance was very nuanced. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And I think that, you know, she did a fantastic job in the sense that for a guest character, I'd argue that she plays almost a more important role than yep. our regulars, Matt and Tanya. Like, oh, yeah. she drives the plot forward much more than they do. And I think she steals the show. Because for Definitely. me, as a kid, it was all about her journey. You know, she, come, yeah. she comes in, you know, really cranky. Remember, remember, am I supposed to be a memory machine? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she's she's upset that her mom's plunking her at the train station. And it's funny, because I think under her anger and her kind of frustration is probably some sadness and loneliness like i get that sense from her but then she has such a beautiful journey with getting to know mr nicholas and the way he sort of is just there to offer like little teachings and little moments um i really like i really like that and it's a great it's a great driving force for the episode yeah it's really funny how it shifts from like it starts out as sort of your typical shining time station Mm -hmm. plot of our regular characters very quickly it becomes a plot about vicky and mr nicholas though yeah yeah it does it does and in a very subtle way like i think that's what makes the writing so good is just the flow of it it's not sort of like okay we're gonna insert this story and have this moral and you know she's sad in this it just it kind of ebbs and flows she's with matt and tanya and then something bad happens and she runs away and she's sitting and then she chats with mr nicholas who just is waiting for his train it's actually quite a great i think it's a great way to kind of conceptualize his character because he's this presence throughout the episode i mean he comes in i don't know what a third of the way through or something like that and then he's just sort of sitting there waiting yeah roughly and then he's waiting for his train and so he can just be there to interact with the characters. And so as Vicky is having her moments and going through her emotions, he's just there and he'll offer little pieces. So it doesn't feel, feels very natural. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's just, there's so many wonderful moments between them. And I think my favorite moment is when, uh, you know, Stacy comes over with a blanket and says the trains have been canceled. And she says that Mr. Nicholas is welcome to stay at the station. And he goes, well, it's very kind of you, but, the Northern Star will be here any minute now, and all of a sudden you just hear that whistle. And oh my god, it just gets me every time. <laughs> it's so it's so good. And I love his reaction. She's like, where is that whistle coming? And, and I think Dee Dee does such a great job in that moment because she mm-hmm. just looks so surprised and bewildered. Because um I think we mentioned that there's a huge snowstorm outside, so all the trains are canceled and and, you know, so it makes it even more unbelievable. And then he, you know, he looks up and he claps his notebook shut and said, that's the Northern Star. And I just I like, love that. I know. <laughs> and, the, and, you know, she says, but, but Mr. Mr. Nicholas, Nicholas that's, it, that's 
impossible. The game very well acted and Jones. Miss Jones. I'm surprised. Nothing is impossible unless you stop believing in it, huh? Yes. And it's funny, Matt was joking earlier that my handle is Northern Star. And I remember for the longest time on Twitter, I just had like random numbers assigned to my name. And then at yeah. some point I was like, oh, I've got to pick something and I have no idea. And I don't, I think I was trying to think of, I was thinking of Shining Time Station and I was thinking of, okay, what is like a very meaningful component for me? And I think Northern Star stood out because again, it was this thing that you never see and people don't believe in, but then all of a sudden is there in some kind of magical way. And for me, that in a lot of ways sums up the spirit of the show. You know, we have Mr. Conductor who J.B. King never sees, but he knows he's there. It's mm-hmm. almost like a, and I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to get like to go into the far reaches of my mind, but it almost feels spiritual. Like there's something very, um, there's something about the belief that reminds me of spirituality, spirituality a little bit. And I would, I would probably yeah. say like, you know, that kind of thing as a kid and believing in magic was probably the beginnings of my, like finding a bit of my spiritual faith. So it's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, coming back to it as an adult and seeing, you know, seeing that. And then, yeah. And then it kind of loops back around to my name because I love, I love that message. You know, nothing's impossible unless you stop believing in it. And I also, I have the tattoo believe on my shoulder. So it's all, there's a lot of interconnectedness there. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very it's a powerful episode. It it affects you in a lot of different ways and you know, I think uh one of one of the best things I think is that you know, you've you've got JB King who's constantly looking for Mr. Conductor and then at the end of the episode, I really love how they just have you see Mr. Nicholas point at the tree and the lights come on. And then he looks back and waves at Mr. Conductor. So it's like, oh, yeah. you know, he's different. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. It's uh, it's very it's a very magical moment. It's very special. And it just yeah, it just it flows so well. I also like that we have the lovely winter train footage in yes. kind of the opening and closing, because that's different for Shining Time to have that. It's just it's been consistently the um the footage uh, of was is, is it? I'm trying to remember in the season one. Was it the footage of UP eight four four or was it? Yes, it was. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we still we you know that that was originally there, and then now we get this lovely footage, which, as it turns out, is um, filmed at the Grand Canyon Railway in Williams, Arizona. Features a locomotive eighteen, which was also the uh, the steam whistle of Northern Star. Yes, of course. They really got their uh, mileage out of that locomotive, didn't they? <laughs> they did. They definitely did. <laughs> and that, luckily, if anyone is looking to uh, to look into number 18 more, thankfully, it has been preserved. It has been moved to Boyertown, and it is operated by the Colbrookdale Railroad Preservation Trust. So if you want to see a screen star of Shining Time Station, that's where you have to go. Most excellent. <laughs> Um, the, I mean, there's so many things to say about this episode, and I have kind of a few other points written down mm-hmm. before we dive mm-hmm. into the more, you know, the songs and the, and the Thomas stories. Mm-hmm. Um, one one thing was a memory that I wanted to share, which was I always loved the Simple Gift song that yes. is, you know, I think it's it's the title of the episode, Tis a Gift, it takes it from that line in the song. 
but it also is the kind of culmination and it's such a lovely uh kind of wrap around right at the end it fits in so well it sums up the episode it's very moving how we have um vicky as her character progresses you know understanding more what the meaning of Christmas is and realizing that her singing a song for her mom is probably like the best gift she could give. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that not only for her mom, but to break up the adults arguing about who gets to play Santa's helper. And then everyone just stops and is like, what are we doing? And they turn and listen to the sweet girl <laughs> singing this song. And then you mm-hmm. have, you know, Tex and Rex joining in as, you know, Rory Dodd and his, the harmonizing and it's so lovely and then you know the jukebox band are there and everyone kind of joins in at the end uh and interestingly as a kid i remember really loving that song and my mom i think heard the music of it from the tv as i was watching in my room and she was like what is that i love that song and so i wrote the lyrics out for her on the sticky note and i put (laughs) it on her bedside table because she liked the lyrics so much and so i just have that that memory in my mind and I shared that interestingly I wrote Brit Allcroft back in 2012 when I first came to Toronto and was sort of realizing oh this is kind of shining time station town and uh, I told her about that memory because it was one that kind of stuck with me so there's there's I mean there's multiple ways this is episode to touch me but you know it also links to my family and oh Oh my gosh that you've got me teary-eyed now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to make everyone crap tonight. Oh. <laughs> it's a shaker song, which I didn't know until a few years ago. Really? It is. Huh. Yeah. Uh, it was written by, a, I don't remember who the fellow was, but I just was looking it up because I think I, I remembered my mom mentioning that. Um, I also enjoy when Mr. C is talking to Matt and Tanya. And you know when he sometimes gets really cryptic and rhymey and stuff? Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. was talking, he's, he's saying like, sometimes a special person doesn't know they're special. And he's sort of hinting at Vicky's storyline, but the kids are like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you'll know, you know? <laughs> so th- I like that characterization of Mr. C because that's very much him. And that he's like, there is a lesson in here and there's something, but as watching as a kid, I'm like, I don't know what he means. Weirdo. Uh- <laughs> you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because now that I think about it, I mean, during season one, Ringo's Mr. Conductor wasn't always super cryptic. Like, he was pretty straight and to the point. It was more when they started getting into George's Mr. Conductor that they would have him speak in those kind of strange little rhymes. That's a good and, point. Yeah. You know, things that they tried to conceal. So it's funny that it's kind of, yeah. this was kind of laying the groundwork. And obviously, I mean, maybe we could put that down to Brian McConaughey for for writing Mr. Conductor that way. Cause yeah, he does have involvement in, you know, season two and three from this point on. So I don't know, maybe that was a conscious decision. It might've been, I mean, it's interesting. He did have the rhyming in season one, but you're right. It wasn't, he didn't sort of give cryptic messages, which George Carlin's Mr. C definitely did. And there's, I Absolutely. remember there's one scene where, where Kara is like, Mr. Conductor, sometimes I don't understand a word you say. And <laughs> it's great because I think that's probably the experience of a lot of kids until you get to the end of the episode and you're like, oh, right. Okay, that's what he was hinting at. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, but just wonderful. And I also, I, I do enjoy that they bring back like the schemer Stacy dynamic. It's mm-hmm, I think that mm-hmm. scene with him eating his food 
is one of my favorites, and he's trying to fatten oh, up me to be too. Santa's helper. And <laughs> you, Santa's helper, ho, 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 that ho, ho, ho will turn into <laughs> oh, 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 when you see my Santa's helper's costume. My mommy made it. He's And then when they when they get into their, um, I'm going to get the committee to vote for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get the committee to vote for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who needs you? And then he falls on his face and gets um, cake all on it. It's just a very well-paced and timed scene, and you just have Brian and Dee Dee sinking right back into their playful banter and <laughs> I, I that's, that's you know what that's one of my favorite parts too is when Stacy goes you know what schemer you've had a lot of crazy ideas before but this one takes the cake and Brian just goes ah oh, cake and pulls out a full cake just starts eating it thank you for reminding me Miss Stacy Jones yeah it's great and it's so funny too because he's obviously eating like a bucket of KFC chicken um, yes sorry this podcast does not endorse kfc uh but we <laughs> <laughs> but you can clearly tell that it is it's just been like um like the props department's just put like paper around it yeah of course <laughs> so he's eating that and all this stuff and the cake <laughs> which does look good i remember as a kid being like oh it looks like a black forest maybe oh um, yeah 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 uh, I agree. and also his smear campaign of stacy with the posters because i remember oh. i remember seeing a photo of I think written brick conceptualizing story ideas at the at the office here in Toronto and yeah um that poster was hanging in the back so they had it for a little <laughs> while like oh, I wish it was still around because uh, you have you know Stacy as they're like you know staring off happily into the distance and schemers like doing this weird weird pose um oh yeah oh my god but they're funny especially when he's like do you want a rat training cheese thief or someone gorgeous, intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite of those interactions is when it's Schemer and Mayor Flopdinger. And yes, Schemer's yes. trying to convince him that they all smoke uh, big, cheap, smelly cigars. And uh, he says that they, they smoke them for breakfast. The mayor goes, for breakfast? <laughs> he just goes, yeah, big stinko, stinko ones. ones. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. <laughs> oh he's oh he's great and i also love when he's with midge and yes um he he's convincing her that she's an alien mm-hmm, uh that mm-hmm. stacy is an alien and uh, midge smoot says schemer have you lost what little sense you already had <laughs> the way she says it that's so great and then he goes i don't think so no i know <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then she's like, the only thing, what is it? The only thing you could ask for is for Santa to bring you a brand new brain. Do, do, do. And she points, and points at him. <laughs> oh, it's just great. Um, we got, we've got really good banter, but it's fun because it's never like, it's never like mean. It's just silly and funny. And it is sort of, I mean, they're poking fun at each other, but it's so nice to see all the characters back together again and bantering with each other. And everyone seems really comfortable. That's the impression I get on set. Like all the characters just feel very at ease and very, they fall back into their characters easily. Everyone's interactions are so good. And I mean, the one that always kind of sticks out to me and it's right from the beginning is uh, with Tucker and Mr. King when they're interacting with each other especially because you know Arden Bess is just joining the cast for this one special <laughs> he's a one-off um, but yeah. he's a one-off but you wouldn't guess it because their interaction is so fun and natural and I always love when uh Mr. King is asking him about you know have you met uh Mr. Conductor and he's describing him and you just see Tucker go uh 
no, no, I have not seen anyone like that. And you see him just like turning away and going like crazy. I know. I know. And then there's the look of surprise on his face when he sees that the gift is gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one interesting note about Tucker Cooper is that he should be Tucker Cupper, technically. That's true. That's very um, true. And I wonder, is he actually Tucker Cooper or did the actor say the name wrong and they just left it? Could very well have, yeah. He, because, uh, I mean, also Tucker Cupper? I mean, it's very rhymey, but maybe they thought it sounded too silly or something and they changed it. Uh, but that that bit sort of stood out to me. I was like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if that's maybe like a play on, you know, the whole... Uh just like the last names like being similar but not exactly yeah. similar i don't know but well um, i wonder too if they did approach because everyone's back i wonder if they approached leonard jackson but he couldn't do it for some reason maybe because it was in toronto and he couldn't get away to shoot for the i don't know the week or two that they filmed i think that it filmed in october or november i can't recall something like that i think october yeah i'm willing to bet that it's likely because of the shift from uh the states to uh to toronto that's probably why they couldn't get him yeah and they flew i know they flew um you know the guest stars in and whatnot and they would often do that rick was saying shoot their stuff and then leave yeah and what are your thoughts on the just to turn towards some of the segments what are your thoughts on the jukebox songs oh my god where do i even start like this is (laughs) just such a good batch of songs for the jukebox band like Oh, I mean, right off the bat, we get Over the River and Through the Wood. This rendition is beautiful. It's so Um, nice. Again, we're relying on that classic combo of the voices of, uh, you know, Venice Thomas and Rory Dodd. Yeah. And it's just, oh my gosh, the the arrangement of it is so good. Um, You know, I I really love the moment right after the first verse where you just hear, uh, you hear Tex go, Join along here, Rex. And then yeah. they start harmonizing for the next oh. part. Oh, it gets me every time. I love that one so much. It's beautiful. And it's an also, uh, I think, a relatively unusual one. I mean, I didn't know it outside of the show for a long time. You don't hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hear it a ton. And so I always associate it with this show. Um, and then when I hear it other places, be like, oh, it just it's such a cozy, warm, familiar song. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? It strikes me because, like, I remember, you know, when you're in elementary school and they kind of get everybody together in the in the auditorium for Christmas celebrations, and they have you sing carols for a concert or whatever. I do remember this song being sung at those occasions, but it was always more of like a like an upbeat, almost like a marching kind of song. Um, Interesting. Not not as much. This is kind of a ballad. Exactly, yeah. So to hear it done as a ballad, I was like, whoa, this is really different and like so much better. It works so well. And how much do you love the jingle bells at the beginning? Like the. Oh, as it starts to play yes. the first couple chords, it's just. I really think, actually, in terms of all the jukebox band, puppet band songs, which they did three and a half of, if you count Simple Gifts, which is mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I think they're on point. Beautifully, beautifully arranged songs and lovely uh, filming of the set when you get the zooming in on the Christmas lights and and how the characters are dressed up for Christmas. It's beautiful. Actually, some of my probably favorite numbers. 
Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, the first number is definitely my favorite of the bunch from this special, but the, you really can't go wrong with any of them because then you get into uh, the next one, which is their very upbeat, very rockin' version of Jingle Bells. Oh, yeah, which is, <laughs> it's it's pretty kick-ass, I'll say. It's it very, is, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we got Venice Thomas giving her, and she's wicked. Yes. Okay, singing for Schemer, baby, yo! It's interesting. Yes. My favorite is actually Christmas time at the railway station, because for really? me that's a an- yes, because that's another one that I didn't know as a kid. I'd never really heard. I just I heard mm-hmm. really classic Christmas carols, and uh, there's something about that song that hits home, and especially the little segment where the mother and son come in from the cold with snow on their scarves, and mm-hmm. she wraps his scarf around his neck a little bit tighter, and then um, yeah. she does the same for him. So, uh, yeah, that one... I mean, I love Over the River and Through the Woods as well. The, I'm, it's probably almost tied with Christmas time, but over the years, Christmas time at the railway station, oh, it's just deliciously nostalgic and sweet. Clickety-clack Whistle blowing Bells are ringing Coming and going, riding the trains to the destination. It's Christmas time at the railway station. Now, is this one, did they compose that one for the show? Because I've never heard it outside of his again. I don't know. I'm going to do a quick Google here. I mean, if anything was going to be written specifically for the show, then it, it definitely would be this one. That would make the most sense, but... Yeah, I, I think it I actually never might be. Oh yeah, Steve Horlick, who was the music guy for you know for the whole series. Steve, great job! I love Shout that song. Shout out to our boy Steve. <laughs> um, it's really sweet, and again the little jingle bells, the soft like in the background. Mm-hmm. I agree. So bundle up tight, it's time to go. Riding the train through the dancing snow From town to town, all across the nation It's Christmas time At the railway station And then we get them coming in at the end and, and harmonizing or doing a duet with Vicky. Uh, and I think it is quite nice to have her soprano, uh, young soprano voice with Rory Dodd's male voice. I agree. You know, it was a good choice on their part. And another standout for the jukebox band is when they, I can't remember what number it's in, but they all go in a line and go past the screen. 
I think it's Jingle Bells. Because I think yeah, I remember Craig saying that the editing for that was quite more complex than usual. And he made a joke to Rick about like, you know, oh, the, you know, Rick said something like, when you first, you know, gave us the footage, we hated you, but after we loved you because they saw how well it turned out. But it was one of the more complicated shoots, I think. Yeah, and I really love the touch there when you see all the characters going by while Jingle Bells is playing, and then yeah. I think it's, you know, Rex or Tex, they give a whistle, and everyone jumps back for their instruments to finish the song. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, any more, any more comments on the jukebox band? Yeah, I mean, really, this is a, a special where, you know, they, they're so present and... Their songs mean so much. I wouldn't change anything about it. And I just, I really love the touch at the end of including them with the rest of the cast while they're singing Simple Gifts because, you know, it it very well could have been something where they just had the cast singing it or just had Vicky singing it. Yeah. But the choice to include the jukebox band just enhances it so much more. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. And then they they loop other voices in at the end. And I don't know if those are the cast or if they're just you know, kind of a selection of people that they came in to kind of beef up the, the singing at the end, but everyone, you know, mm-hmm. on screen at least mimes it and joins in. Yeah, um, exactly. And it's quite, quite nice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then it's interesting because in the family special that we reviewed last time, there were no picture machine segments. And this time we have one and it's sort of sweet. Um, Mr. Nicholas refers to it as a Nickelodeon. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder what's in I that always love that touch. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. It's very charming, and he gives her a nickel, and she watches it. And uh, oof! So it's called the Hobo Song, and it's mm-hmm. uh, music and lyrics by Kevin Roth, and it makes me weep. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such. I find it to be such a beautiful segment. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, it consists of this child coming down the middle of the night and playing with his train set around his Christmas tree. And it sort of brings this story to life about this hobo who's on the train and cold. And then this child, he sees this child standing behind him and it's it's basically him as a kid. Hands him a teddy bear. Um, and I think in a way, like reminds him of his inner child. That's always how mm-hmm. I sort of saw it. And then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the song goes on and then it loops loops back around to the child who slowly opens his eyes and then looks down at this little watch that has, you know, um, him and his bear, which was also exchanged between the hobo and the child. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as a kid, I that song wrecked me. I remember like listening to it and crying, like crying hard. So there definitely the the emotion of it really touched some place and still does. Cold and bitter from winter's weather Just a cold and lonely hobo Spending Christmas time Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know what? Uh, if I'm honest, I was always a little bit wishy-washy with this one because I don't know. I just there was something about maybe maybe the lyrics at certain parts maybe got me, and just you know, it, it never it felt too you know, corny to you. Lo- you mean? Yeah, like yeah. it was a little bit too like on the nose, and yeah. and for the longest time, I was kind of like, ah, oh, do I like it? Do I not? But the interesting thing about this that I read is, uh, according to Rick Sickleco. They almost cut this from the special because they, they were worried that it would be too sad for the younger children who were watching. And as we know, ultimately, they they kept it. And when I read that, I think that kind of made me appreciate it more because I really can't picture this special without the hobo song. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, apparently I, I, there's another interview. I can't recall where it was, but Rick said that, you know, they got. I think he said there was a like a pastor at a church who yeah. talked about, you know, using it and showing it in sermons at Christmas. And, you know, that speaks volumes that not only is it, you know, obviously, as you said, as a child, it wrecked you. But even for the adults, like for it to be used in a sermon in a church, yeah. clearly it has a very wide reaching impact. And it's a very emotional bit. Mm hmm. And it's interesting, like when you said that, I was trying to think, I'm like, what, what was it that struck an emotional chord with me? And I think it was the empathy. And because I was such a sensitive child. And so I think, I think the idea of someone who was alone in that way. And I mean, again, the the term hobo is sort of out of date now, but you know, somebody who's essentially like a, a traveler who's homeless um and i guess not like in the video he's alone he's not surrounded by people he loved so there was something Mm -hmm. about like that broke my heart a little bit and Mm then like kind of broke my heart open and then there's a way that he he got comfort from this angel or this you know vision of his younger self or whatever you'd like to see and 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 that really brought him comfort and then kind of loops back around to the child and then you're like oh, wow, was that just in the child's mind or how does that work? But there was something about it, I think, that that got me in, in that respect of the empathy. Uh, and then also, I think, yeah, I, I just, I think there's a, I don't know if it's meant to be in there or if it's just something that I feel, but I think there's an inner child piece there about yeah. about reconnecting with your younger self, parts of you that are lost or really struggled when you were younger um, or older, I guess, in this case. And there was a way that, like, a theme of, like, coming back to yourself that I think watching it now I'm quite moved by in a different way versus mm-hmm. just feeling really sad for this this gentleman um, in the story. So... Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that for sure. And, you know, I think in addition to all that, of course, I think the cherry on top is the fact that it's Kevin Roth who's singing it, who... You know, of course, we know him as the the beautiful vocalist for the theme song. He sung many songs in season one of the show, too. And this is definitely I mean, the the vocals on the theme song will always get me. But outside of that, I think this is his most affecting song in the series, without a doubt. Yes. And it's funny because uh, I for those of you who were able to see my first 
um, podcast of my little train of thought, one where I re- reunited the Shining Time people, there was a, there's a moment in the beginning where I, I, I do, I bring Kevin on a clip of him singing the theme song and just saying hello to everyone. And when we were interacting, I, I mentioned this song to him and he didn't remember it. And part really? of me was like, what? <laughs> Could you not remember this song yeah. that for me is one of his standout? He had quite a few good ones, but yeah, along with the theme song, this is probably a top one for me. And I, oh, I for sure, I rec- I sort of like recalled it, but I, I imagine he wrote a lot of songs in his career and probably couldn't remember. Yeah, you write a lot of music, and some of them just slip out of your mind yeah. after they're recorded. So I guess I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know what directions he had. It's also interesting to know that um, this was a second unit shoot uh, for this music video, as all the sort of music video segments were, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recall them saying that the train for the shoot, it wasn't steamed up. It was a stationary train. So they got fog machines and wind machines and did the right camera positioning and shaking to make it look like the train was moving for that shot of panning up towards the steam engine. And then well, they the nailed it because I definitely thought it was in steam and moving. I so. know. I know. Right. <laughs> and so Frank Vitale, good job. You just nailed it well done, uh, you, frank <laughs> yeah and uh and similarly with the um with the hobo and his in the train car with all the presents that, that was all effects so they did a great job and then i think um that was in someone's house that that scene of the child downstairs and mm-hmm. looks like they purchased like an lgb train set uh to do that yes but very beautifully filmed uh there's a way that it was filmed that I don't know the way the snow was all around and the little layout and the, the watch mm-hmm. there. There's something about the care that they shot shining time with that. I really notice there's just a lot yeah, of care and attention to detail and, and people putting a lot of thought. It doesn't feel rushed. It's, I mean, there were some episodes in like season three that I, that do start to feel a little rushed to me, but, but mm-hmm. in when the show is at its best, it, it feels like they really, uh, they're good at what they're doing and everyone's just confident and just doing it getting it done yeah yeah i agree 100 percent. there's there's a lot of care that goes into this show and no one can deny that yeah um and then we've got the thomas stories so what are your thoughts on on those we have uh thomas terrence in the snow and thomas's christmas party well as an interesting aside here technically this is uh i guess if you want to get down to the finer points of it all this is i guess the first shining time episode where we have three thomas stories uh because in the tv broadcast as you mentioned we do get uh thomas terrence and snow as the first story or terrence the tractor for our north american audiences uh followed by thomas's christmas party which uh you know terrence the tractor had been told earlier in season one but this was the debut of thomas's christmas party However, for the home media releases, we actually get something different. So Thomas's Christmas Party becomes the first story shown, and the second story is from Season 2, which is uh, Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree. Now, the interesting thing about that one is uh, Ringo did not actually do a proper US dub for it. They simply removed any of the lines that made mention of uh, the Fat Controller and, and just called it a day, likely because I think Ringo was maybe gone by that point or unavailable. Um, and I guess that was done to maybe boost the VHS sales a little more because I think it's more of a draw if you've got 
you know, two episodes that the wider public hasn't really seen as much compared to just one. So that's a good point. It's an interesting choice, though. I mean, it is interesting and it makes sense to have the two Christmas episodes on your Christmas special, of course. But, uh, you know, the issue is that obviously they didn't change any of the script for Shining Time Station. So Ringo Conductor is still telling the kids about the events of Terrence the Tractor. Yeah. But then the VHS cuts to Thomas's Christmas party. So a little bit awkward there, I will admit. And, you know, obviously the editing of Thomas and the missing Christmas tree is, is a little bit off. But um, it's a little strange. Overall, I don't know if it was necessary for the home video yeah. release. I mean, I never I never had that one. So I, I didn't know. I only ever saw the the aired special with the original stories. Did you ever notice it as a kid when you watched the... VHS? Not that I can think of, no. Okay. And as far as I know, like, you know, for the longest time, I just knew that it was the two main Christmas episodes that were on this special. But then discovering that, you know, it was actually supposed to be Terrence the Tractor as the first story originally, I was like, oh, that kind of makes more sense, actually, with what Mr. Conductor's saying. But yeah, um, yeah. In, in any case, I mean, really, all three serve a good purpose for this story, because... You know, you've got Mr. Conductor telling Matt and Tanya about how they can't forget their scarves and mittens when they go outside. And, you know, obviously the story of Thomas not wanting to wear his snowplow is central to that. Um, but they could have easily used Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree actually as the first story, I think. And I would have appreciated because at this point, like I've heard that story so many times mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, I don't remember that one. I'm like, I do. You know, again, we're in, this <laughs> we're in this familiar place again. And I actually never saw Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree until I was an adult. I somehow totally yeah. missed out on that story because it wasn't huh. on... I think it was on Thomas's Christmas Party VHS, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But I never yeah, had that right. one as a kid and I never watched it. So I never saw it until I was older. And I was like, oh, interesting. I get to see a season two episode I've never seen. So I kind of wish they'd written it in because at a Christmas tree, it could have fit into their Christmas tree easily, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm -hmm. I agree. I think. So Terrence, I mean, it, he's had his time in the snow, I think. We could... <laughs> I love that episode, I do. But And it's funny because, again, for me, there's this thing of... I was talking about this with a friend the other day. They said, you know, when I watch Shining Time Station on its own, I find myself st skipping the Thomas stories... Was this with you, mm -hmm. Mike, or was it somebody else? I think it was with somebody else. It must have been. And But they said, obviously, like, watching season one and two of Thomas the Tank Engine on their own, of course I wouldn't skip it. I really enjoy it. But sometimes, right. within the context of an episode, um, I'm like, okay, well, I know the story really well. I want to watch the station stuff more. Yeah. This would be a case where I'd fast-forward the story. But I would watch Thomas's Christmas Party, because that's a bit more of a rarer episode. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's interesting because the Christmas episodes from, you know, series one and two of Thomas are, they always stuck me, or struck me rather, as, as sort of, you know, these rare things. Like, first of all, you had the, the point of being that these were specially written episodes, I guess you could say, because yeah. they had to sort of adapt uh, pre-written material. So, you know, Wilbert Audrey had done Thomas's Christmas Party, which incorporates the bits from... Mrs. Kindly's Christmas, of course. Mm -hmm. And then Thomas and the Mrs. Missing Christmas Tree was a Christopher Audrey story. Uh, so, mm -hmm. but they weren't part of the main railway series books. So unless you sought out those standalone books, you wouldn't have actually known about them. So 
you know, there's that aspect. And for me, you know, I, I didn't really, I think I had the Thomas's Christmas party VHS, but I never watched it that much. I think I watched tis a gift on VHS more than I watched that one. So for me, these two episodes are always kind of associated with shining time station as well. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I really love them. I think that, you know, it, it goes from a more wholesome story, which is Thomas's Christmas party, um, to an episode that has a little bit more danger to it in Thomas and the missing Christmas tree, where oh, you're yeah. not sure where Thomas is and will he make it back in time? And, at the the end of both episodes had this wonderful celebration, wonderful coming together of all the ensembles so far. And they're just, yeah, they're, they're simple stories, but they really do a good job of just capturing the holiday spirit as well. Yeah, they do. And, and I, I like the familiarity of Ringo or Mr. C kind of, you know, recounting tales to Matt and Tanya. It feels familiar, but actually this was the first time I saw those characters uh, as I hadn't seen season one. Mm-hmm. when I was watching season two. So they were just these random kids. <laughs> I had no context. Yeah. Whereas they, you know, they had this whole relationship and experience with all the cast members beforehand. Uh, oh yeah. This is, it's just such a good episode. Um, I'm trying to think. So we mentioned that it was the first time filming in Toronto. And uh, I remember when I was kind of interviewing Rick Sigelko a little bit, he said this was really a test run for them to see mm-hmm. how it would work in Toronto. It was a trial run for the cast and crew and, you know, they shipped the whole setup here. Uh, I think they wanted to see what it was like and how it went. And it seems like it went well because I think the episode was very well done. doesn't seem like there were any major hiccups. And, you know, shooting in Toronto and Canada had a lot of tax breaks. And it also meant that they hired a fair number of Canadian actors. That's true. As well, That's which started true. appearing in season two, which I think is actually great. Um, you know, bringing bringing more industry to the city in a time when Toronto didn't really have big studios. Uh, you know, now we have Star Trek filming here in a you know a, in a huge custom made studio space. <laughs> so mm-hmm. things have really kind of changed since then. Um, I believe this was I believe this was shot uh, on Pharmacy Ave at Studio Oasis, I think, for the first time, which is where it stayed. Um, But it's just interesting to think that they took the whole set apart, brought it all up here, and that was that. Quite a journey. Yeah, I never would have guessed, because it it seems like, I mean, aside from those little details that you pointed out earlier, it's still the same station to me, so they did a pretty (laughs) seamless job of transporting it. They did a good job. It wasn't kind of a Tatmar situation where everything got destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) The mural wasn't, like, ripped to shreds. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also love how, at, just speaking to the sort of cast and crew working on the show, that um, they had the lovely ending credits dedication, which I didn't see in my version as a kid because I didn't see the original one, but they have a um, you know dedication to all of those that helped build Shining Time Station. And mm-hmm. I just think that's a really beautiful sentiment. And I wonder... Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if they weren't sure if they would have funding for the second two seasons. And so that Mm -hmm. was like, just in case they wouldn't come back. But, and I I know, you know, Ringo obviously didn't come back and they had to replace uh, him with George. And they also had to replace um, uh, Leonard with, with Tom Jackson. And obviously Mm -hmm. they hadn't found Tom at this point. 
Otherwise, he'd probably be in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting to think about. If we had got the uh, the introduction of Billy Two Feathers here, I think that would have been would have been a cool little introduction. It would have been. It would have been. And it's interesting. I I kind of lumped this one in with Scare Dares because they both mm-hmm. are transitional episodes for me, and that it's really uh, Matt and Tanya handing over the torch to Kara, uh, Becky, and Dan as the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also get a lot of the familiar banter between the characters that we know and love, you know, with Schemer, Stacy, Midge, and that continues on to Scare Dears, which is actually another very top episode for me. It feels very similar in that it's Halloween themed. So it's another yeah. exciting kind of holiday themed episode and they pack a lot of fun stuff in and do really great musical numbers. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I see those as very linked. And then for me, season one or season two really starts with oh what a tangled web yeah i i agree they they both kind of go together sort of hand in hand and yeah like you said it's very much a passing the torch to uh to the new kids and and the start of the new season hi i'm ken bianco jr from train world where we have the greatest selection of model trains and train sets we also are proud to carry bachman's full line of thomas and friends products With a large variety of different brands and scales, we have the best items for your model train collection. You can find Train World on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can see our latest products and even be invited to all our events like Thomas Tuesdays. Visit trainworld.com today to find your next addition to your model railroad journey. Hi. I'm Mike O'Donnell, one of the composers of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme, and I'm here to tell you that I have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called The Engine Themes. These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right On Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. Any other trivia bits on your end, Mike? Uh, well, in <laughs> terms of uh, in terms of trivia that I can think of, um, I guess we one thing we could highlight here is that this is technically the last episode uh, from the original run of Shining Time Station to debut a Thomas story from season one of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. Yes. Uh, the only episode from season one that didn't get a Ringo Starr US dub is Whistles and Sneezes. Uh, every other episode was done for season one, so you can find all those online. Whistles and Sneezes unfortunately was skipped, and that's one of my favorites, so it hurts my heart just a tiny little bit. Oh, I love it too. Uh, I know, I know, it's so good. But unfortunately, Whistles and Sneezes would not appear in Shining Time Station until the uh, season two episode, At Chew, which is, is very you. fitting for this type of story. Thank you. So kind of you. <laughs> uh, that, there's a little um a little robin hood men in tights reference for you there that's it we we do love that for sure 
Um, the other little bit of trivia, I guess we can say, is this is the first time and potentially the only time that the Rainbow Sun is mentioned outside of the Shining Time Station theme song. Absolutely. The other time being another fantastic episode called Jingle, Jingle, Jingle. Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot about but that. But you're one. right. They don't often mention it as its own entity. So I guess it's, it's interesting they chose to do that. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if that was just sort of a, you know, maybe they included it because it was a quote unquote special episode. But um, yeah, it's interesting that you didn't hear about it until now because you hear about so many sort of named services in season one of Shining Time. But this is the first time that the Rainbow Sun comes up. Yeah, it is. It is kind of strange. And I just I wonder if it was just them returning to the familiarity of Shining Time Station lore. Yeah, maybe with all the changes that were happening in this special, with all the new people and sort of new things that were going on, maybe it just made sense to throw in what they could to bring back that sense of familiarity, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Any other final thoughts? Oh, so many, and yet, what else can I really say about this episode that hasn't been said before? I mean, this is just, uh, this is an essential Shining Time Station episode. Um, it, it's something that you, you just can't skip. And it's funny, we were talking about this earlier, but, you know, obviously you watch it at Christmas, but I find myself watching it outside of Christmas too. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, when, when the new uploads by Joseph were being done earlier this year, I think with the way that it worked out, it was like the end of April or start of May that this one aired on his YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. So like. It was getting pretty hot here, but I was like, well, I can't just not watch it. Like, of course I'm going to watch it when it's uploaded here. So, um, you know, Christmas came a little bit early this year, but that's that's okay. We love that. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, this is definitely if I had to pick on my hand a, a certain number of episodes to recommend to someone who's never seen Shining Time Station, this one unquestionably makes the cut. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree with you there. It is top tier, top tier shining time. And uh, it's interesting. This was, uh, in terms of Joseph up- Joseph's uploads, along with the family specials, it was also on Umatic tape. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not quite as sharp as the other VHS dubs that he's uploaded. And the colors are a little bit more dull, but it's, but it's quite a good upload. Yeah, overall. I agree. Completely. We're very grateful to Joseph for that. And Joseph has uploaded both the broadcast version and the VHS version if you would like to see the difference in uh, Thomas stories included. Yes, there is a lot of variety there. Um, And just to loop back around to, I think, one of the last kind of points is that, you know, we want to touch on some of the morals at the end as we've been doing. And I was trying to reflect on this. And I, I think I think. You know, in that behind-the-scenes interview where Rick is talking about this Christmas episode when they're filming it, he mentions a bit about, I think, probably the commercialization of Christmas and gifts and, and the focus of, you know... And you hear a lot of times the kids saying the best part about Christmas is getting presents or it's boring mm-hmm. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then... And then... So for me, what I sort of formulated as, as the moral was something like the best gifts come from the heart. You don't need to spend money or make these grand gestures. It's just these very simple things, which also kind of fits in with the simple gift. Um, but I liked 
the message of it's just like a kind gesture or as Mr. Nicholas is saying, like, a, a, you know, a nice, nice word for somebody who's feeling sad. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, people can say like, oh, that's corny or whatever, but I love corny stuff. <laughs> and I like it doesn't I, feel corny though that's the no thing. it doesn't like, it doesn't not to me I mean it just feels it feels like the heart of the show again I know I talk about the heart of the show a lot but this is again just about leading with the heart and that mm-hmm. really touching people and so you have that lovely connection between Vicky and and Mr. Nicholas where I think she he really allows her to bring her heart out a little bit more as she becomes feel safer and more accepted and more wanted in the station. And Mm -hmm. then, and then I think it's interesting that her mom being kind of absent and feeling kind of dropped off by her mom as her mom's busy rushing around getting shopping. And then they can kind of come back together and you can tell how much her relationship with her mom means to her for Vicky. I mean, and obviously for any kid, a parent is, you know, almost next to God when you're that age, but she goes around with so much anxiety, like, I need to find Santa. I need to find Santa and tell him to get a gift from my mom. And that's, you know, she's, mm-hmm. that's one of her last little things she goes through. And Mr. Nicholas is like, I feel like Santa's probably already got a gift from your mom, but what are you going to give her? And, you know, how can you, how can you sh- share your love with her? And mm-hmm. I think, I think too, it's just nice for kids to know that they can move, that they can move adults in that way. And, and it doesn't have to be, you know, they don't have to save up a ton of money they can just, you know, have a thought like, I know that's meaningful and this will mean something to them and it'll make me feel good doing that for them in a really sweet reciprocal way. Yeah, I always really loved the the part where, you know, Mr. Nicholas is talking about all the gifts that you can give and Vicky says, well, those things don't come, you know, wrapped in paper or they don't cost money. And yeah. he just looks at her very genuinely and says, you know, presents don't always have to come you know, wrapped in bows and ribbons or they don't always have to cost money. And it just feels like, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel like a moral being shoved down your throat. It feels like a very genuine message. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. It is. Mr. Nicholas, are some people really all alone on Christmas? Yes, Vicky, I'm afraid so. And they don't get any presents? Well, that all depends on what you mean by presents. Not every present comes wrapped in pretty paper with a ribbon and bow, you know. Sometimes a present can be just a a smile or a kind word to somebody who's feeling sad or a poem or or maybe a picture that you've drawn. But they don't cost any money. (laughs) Presents don't have to cost money. (laughs) And... Similarly, I think when he's talking about, you know, how was Santa know where I am or what I want? And he says, like, there's mm-hmm. a light in all children that shines, you know, and he can see that light. And again, I know it like that almost like coming back to it, it almost feels spiritual and it's connected and because it's all about belief. And even if you don't, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you don't celebrate Christmas believe in Santa and, you know, you have a different faith or, you know, you're atheist or whatever it might be. I think everyone can still believe in believing in some way. Mm -hmm. That's a universal thing. And so I think that touches, this touches on that, even though it's in the context of Christmas, uh, it, it's about how we're all interconnected. 
yeah i agree as 100%. human beings and it's, i know i'm getting very, very like philosophical here but <laughs> yeah no it's it's you're absolutely right it's not something that's limited to just you know the the christmas crowd it, it's a very universal message and um you know i think <laughs> if they had changed whatever holiday they were celebrating to something else i think it still would strike a chord yeah absolutely i will say one thing that i've that I noticed watching it back is just probably just more a circumstance of time is, Mm -hmm. you know, a little disturbing that like just a random stranger is talking to a young girl in a train station, like unmonitored. (laughs) And I know again, this is like a fantasy situation. It's a lot different. And we trust Mr. Nicholas because we know he's Santa and that's all part of the story in the make believe, but it just is something that struck me, especially when he's like touching her face and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that would be written differently now. Um, which in a way, yeah. like I know on one, on the one hand, it's like, Oh, that's a bit sad that people like that. There's not as much room for like safe connection with male figures. On the other hand, you know, there is also safety to think about. We want kids to be thinking about consent and like, do I know this person and how much do I want to share with them? So sorry, not to, I'm not trying to, bring shining time too much back down to the real world but it just was something i noticed that i'm like okay hmm, that's there a little bit yeah no you're 100 correct i think if this was being done today the uh the interactions between mr nicholas and vicky would be yeah. a lot different and i think maybe yeah. there would be perhaps another adult involved a little bit more well, exactly. that, uh, that vicky knows <laughs> there's a way and i think there's a way that they could have like if it was done today it would still be beautiful and they could weave in a lot of the same themes but they maybe have a parent introducing them or she says like, oh, I don't know who you are or whatever. There would be a bit more, you know, just sort of not just going right into that much trust so quickly. And I think it's probably good that kids do have uh, a sense of, you know, being careful and a sense of consent and all that. Uh, it's incredibly important. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think it's uh, it's definitely something good to drive home. And, and you can tell... I mean, that's the thing with a lot of these shows from past decades is mm-hmm. you can definitely watch it back. And, you know, there's still good intentions there, but oh, you can tell sure. that certain things would be definitely done different if they were written in today's world, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can still really enjoy it, and I do. And I there's just things I notice, but... I think it's, yeah, I think it's important that, you know, if either of us notice that, it's important to mention them for our viewers, just to know that, just so that, you know, we're cognizant of those differences. It doesn't mean we still can't enjoy it, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can't still really enjoy something and look at it with a critical lens. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Like, you know, this is, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, oh, this, you know, this thing feels a bit off. So this episode is garbage, whatever. It's not like that. It's just like, oh, it's just always good to have a little bit of a critical eye. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think, you know, we've even had that with, um, you know, the Thomas franchise itself. I think back to when I was, you know, first reading the Railway series and there's the line at the end of the book version of Old Iron where uh, it talks about the the two boys who are on James's footplate and, and set him loose as a runaway. It talks about how they were caught. And uh, I believe the quote is that they were walloped soundly by their fathers Yes. And, uh, you know, you, you get even to the 1980s when that episode was being made for TV. And yeah, that uh, that wouldn't have flown back then for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I mean, thankfully, they had the sense to change it. And even before Shining Time was around, uh, you know, I, I don't know if Brit. Well, I don't know if Brit was already thinking about how she could bring it to America in season two, but 
Oh, I'm sure she was. At she some must. Degree. She must have been. But they had the sense, even when it was in the UK at that point, to be like, okay, yeah, no, we can't see. Because <laughs> <laughs> by ninety ninety one, when they're doing the third season, you know, Rick had a lot more of a hand in the episodes and uh, and whatnot. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, so it's it's important that things change. But this, I think, is a classic. It's a classic episode. And I hope that if it's not an episode that you're familiar with, that it becomes one that you that you do kind of go to and let us know what you think and how you connect with it. Because, I mean, Mike and I both grew up watching it, which is a very different mm-hmm. experience, you know, seeing it through a child's eyes and then through the years and then making sense of it now as adults. But if you're coming to it new and fresh now, let us know what it's like to watch it for the first time in your 20s or 30s. Um, what are your impressions? What moves you? What What do you feel like could be a little bit yeah i would absolutely love to hear the perspective of someone who's just watching it for the first time in yeah the modern modern era and and we know how does it strike you because obviously it's very different for us we've got nostalgia factored in but for someone who's just coming into it fresh you know i'm I'm curious to see what all you think of it do you agree with us do you disagree are there things you would change let us know and again like i think I think as a kid, I felt the genuine heart of this episode and this show. And so coming back to it now, it's so reaffirming to just be like, okay, that's real. These, you know, these are actors, but they're also having a great time doing what they're doing. They're liking their characters. They love who they work with. It feels like a family. And then you get Mm -hmm. that feeling of family experiencing it and watching it, which is a really nice full full circle, I think, for viewers, kids and parents uh alike and on just on the thread of evaluation what would you rate this particular special my friend well i think i'm gonna have to give this one uh, a very high rating i'm giving this one a 9.5 um this is basically a, a near perfect episode to me i think my only nitpick and uh i'm actually kind of surprised i didn't bring this up earlier in the episode but yeah. as a kid i always kind of felt like maybe i was missing something because of because of the way that Tucker is introduced, because of the way mm. that Vicky is introduced, you know, they're not, they're kind of given, uh, they're, they're talked about in the script in a way that makes you feel like maybe they were in a different episode of Shining Time Station or, hmm. you know, the introductions like maybe, maybe a little bit rushed. Um, so, you know, and I still think that to this day, I think, you know, it, it feels like we're supposed to know who these characters are, but we never actually got an introduction to them before. So I think there maybe could have been some rewrites there to bring them into the fray a little bit smoother, but that's a very minor nitpick. I think everything else is completely on point. I love the jukebox songs. I love the picture machine slash Nickelodeon segment. (laughs) Um, I love the Thomas stories. And as we've mentioned, all the cast just interacts with each other so well. There's not really you know, outside those minor nitpicks about the introductions, there's not anything I would change about this. This is just an essential shining time episode to me. It is. It is for sure. Um, and in talking to Mike, my rating is, it went up a little bit. It was 9.5, but I bumped it to 9.75. <laughs> because we're getting fractional, baby. We're, we're getting, I know. <laughs> this is for you. Um, <laughs> Denim, Perry and Connor. <laughs> <laughs> your, when you guys get to the like very very yeah minuscule points but it's near perfect for me i i can't really fault anything in this episode uh it's all just so well written and so well acted i 
think for me, I, I the the point two five is a little bit about Matt and Tanya. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the same way I felt about them as kids in season one. They don't feel. I don't feel the same childlike wonder from them, and that's and I think you're right about that, Mike. It's probably just because they're older, and that makes sense. And but mm-hmm. I'm glad if we didn't have Vicky, it would feel like a very different episode. Because Vicky does seem younger, and and you really see her character development. And Matt and Tanya don't really, their character they don't have much character in this episode. Like you said, they don't even really have major roles. They're just sort of, they're sort of functions for Vicky. And well, sorry, no, that sounds a bit harsh, but um, uh, it, they don't feel very strong to me, to be honest, in this episode. Yeah, uh, they, they definitely written. do feel like a vehicle to get to Vicky's plot mm-hmm. for sure like they mm-hmm. they kind of just drop off after yeah that. and there are moments where you do see them a, a bit more of their color and acting but i find they're acting a little flat or a little yeah. um kind of subdued and i i mean i love both those actors to pieces but just in this episode it given the performances of everyone else it doesn't totally fit so that's i mean if if that was different if they were maybe written a bit differently it would probably be a 10 for me but i just noticed that 100%. watching it back uh, that's the only part that falls a, a little, like a tiny bit flat, but it's great fun. And Mr. C is in fine form. And I love when he drapes his, his little new scarf over the edge of the information booth, which I found out from, uh, Oh, Richard Grunberg. who was one of the camera lighting guys. They had to make the spikes of the, uh, information desk wood out of like giant green foam board. <laughs> to achieve that effect. And so those of you, I mean, you know, all the Mr. C stuff was green screen. And you think about how many things he was interacting with and big props. It's also actually the only time we ever see the Ringo Starr, Mr. Conductor stand-in puppet. When, That's right. When Vicky is putting it in the tree. Uh, which I noticed as a kid because <laughs> I was like, okay, she's grabbing him kind of like a doll. Uh, (laughs) but it's the only time we ever see him and they made his custom love for it. And you can see that very doll on display at the Grammy museum in believe it's Los Angeles, Mm -hmm, the Ringo mm -hmm. star display. So, uh, if you want to make a pilgrimage to see him, you can do that. I mean, he is a Groucho Marx doll dressed up in Mr. Conductor clothes, basically. So, (laughs) which I just found out in this, in seasons two and three was a Ricky Ricardo doll. Oh, they changed it up, did they? They did, and I have I have some photos of that that'll be on display at my upcoming exhibit. So, <gasps> go to see Adrian Edison, everybody. <laughs> yes. yes. Now the thing is, this is probably airing after Edison. So if you missed the show, I'm very sorry. I hope <laughs> you went to see Adrian Edison, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you came, and if I'm, I'm hoping, I think it's going to be great fun, a great success, and and maybe I'll be there next year. Um, it took a lot of coordinating or is taking a lot of coordinating to do it, but it's just the most fun I've had in ages, even though it's like insane getting it ready. So come one, come all, or if you have, thank you for coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There we go. This is, you know, uh, the glory of time to shine is that we cover both the past, the present and the future. We are, we are everywhere. We're going kind of on a Christmas Carol journey through the Shining Time Thomas verse. <laughs> in Where... fact, by the time you finish this podcast, in the present day, I'll probably be pouring myself some eggnog. So there you go. Oh, very nice. That sounds... <laughs> I, could, I could go for a glass of eggnog with a little bit of nutmeg sprinkled on top. 
Oh, I wish we had some right now. It would have made it so festive. I know. I'm drinking water, which is delicious, but not quite the same. Uh, uh, it doesn't <laughs> hit the same, I know. Um, and uh, I always just have so much fun with you, Mike. So uh, thanks again and looking forward to our next uh, our next episode. Yes, thank you, everybody. If you are listening to this, uh, if this goes up prior to Christmas, then we wish you a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. We do, from the bottom of our hearts, from our shining hearts <laughs> to yours. <laughs> oh man, we are we are just I am I we I and we are corny and we're proud of it. Um <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I've been Adrian. I have been Mike. And this has been Time to Shine. We'll see you soon, guys. Bye. Bye everybody. Well, that was great. Oh, that was fun.